what are some things that are unexplainable? What are some things that are unexplainable? Maybe dark matter, deja vu, unexplainable. Near-death experiences, our conscience, you can't really explain the conscience. I want to talk to you this morning about the placebo effect. You guys know what the pl a placebo is, right? A placebo is when you give, you have to do some kind of scientific trial and you give someone the real drug and someone a placebo that has, can't fix it or has no real power to it to really be able to test if there's something that works in the real drug because there's something about a placebo effect that we can't explain. That sometimes when you give people two, one real drug and a placebo, that some people actually just because of the placebo will have the same effects of the real drug. There's this really interesting study that exposed how powerful the placebo effect really is. It happened in 2002. 180 patients had osteoarthritis in the knee, so really bad arthritis in their knees. And they went into this study, and basically they did a placebo effect study. So 90 people who had osteoarthritis, they did the surgery on them to see if they would get better. And then the other 90 people, they put cuts in their knees, but they never did the surgery. And what they found after the surgery was that there was no difference between the 90 people who had the surgery and the 90 people who didn't. I'm not going to make any statements about medical surgeries and whether you should have it or not at this stage this morning. Please do not hear me saying that. We're just talking about who can explain that? Who can explain that 90 people didn't have the surgery to heal and fix their osteoarthritis, but yet they felt exactly the same as the 90 people who did. This is what it said in the article. In this controlled trial, the outcomes of those receiving the procedure were no better than after a placebo procedure. The placebo effect, it's unexplainable. How does that happen? How do you explain that? Well, in 586 BC, the people of Israel were dragged into exile. They spent 70 years without joy, peace, or hope, and they were lifeless, breathless, and hopeless. They were alive, but not really living, and God shows Ezekiel a valley of bones. And behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and it says they were very dry. And God shows him this valley where there's nothing to see but death, defeat, and destruction, and God asks Ezekiel a question. He says, can these bones live? Maybe my friends on this Easter Sunday, I wonder if you're asking that question. <laughs> I mean, where in your life do you feel lifeless, breathless, and hopeless? Where in your life 
do you feel like there's no answer? Nothing that can fix or solve the pain or the heartache or the struggle or the addiction that seems to keep coming back and coming back. Where is the valley of dry bones for you? Where are you asking, can these bones live? Well, today, on Easter Sunday, through the prophet Ezekiel, God is inviting us to believe the unexplainable. That a valley of dry bones could come to life. God shows Ezekiel an impossible scenario and asks, can these bones live? Can hope rise from the ashes? Can God bring what is dead to life? And what Ezekiel saw and what Ezekiel prophesied, what Israel was promised, has everything to do with our lifeless, our breathless, and our hopeless situations. You know, it's interesting Every year around this time, we talk about resurrection. People come to church. People wrestle with, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And there's historical evidence for that, for sure. But you can always find somewhere on the interwebs, wherever it is that you go, articles and podcasts where they'll say, it is scientifically unexplainable can explain the resurrection. And you know what? You can't. <laughs> you can't explain it. You can't explain how a man who was on a cross, bleeding from his side from a spear, spent three days in a tomb and walked out alive and breathing. And today... I believe God wants to do the unexplainable in all of us. You see, my proposition for us today, church, is simply this. We can't explain the resurrection, but the resurrection, it explains us. We can't explain the resurrection. We can't, we can't explain it. We can't explain, I mean... We can make arguments, we can say he rose, it's true, it happened. How did it happen? We can't explain it, but it explains everything about us. And we're gonna unpack that this morning by looking at these two words, live and breathe. Because the, when the resurrection happens for you and for me, that's what happens to us. We live and we breathe. So let's talk about living. The reason for the resurrection, we, we are resurrected to live. God says over and over in this passage, he wants to bring Israel to life. He uses a form of to live or have life six times in these verses. And simply put, the reason for the resurrection is to bring life to the lifeless. The word that I think best describes to have life, it's kind of a strange word for us. It doesn't just mean that blood is pumping through our veins and we can breathe. It's not just that. There's something more in scripture. Jesus even said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And, and when we understand what that means, one word that really helps me understand 
what it means to be alive is the word flourish. That there's this idea in scripture that God doesn't want us to just be going through the motions and doing all these things. He wants us to actually be flourishing. It's, it's a picture of the garden where they, Adam and Eve were li- living with God and, and as they were working and enjoying and eating and celebrating that there was this flourishing that was happening in them and in creation. It, it, that's where the picture of flourishing is. And, and flourishing may have a little bit of a different concept to it than what we're prone to think or what culture usually teaches us. When we think about flourishing, we we often think about it, especially when it comes to our circumstances, that, that we, we think about, well, if things are going good, then I must be flourishing, and things are going bad, then I'm not flourishing. But if we think more deeply about it, we'll actually find that flourishing doesn't really base itself on circumstances. I mean, I mean think about it like this. For me, I've known someone who had all the money in the world they could want, who wasn't flourishing. And I've known a missionary in the slums of India who had nothing, who was. I've known someone who went to the gym every day and looked more fit than anybody could ever imagine who wasn't flourishing. And someone with a disability who was flourishing. I've known people who were at the pinnacle of their health, which is what, like 33? 47 now, we'll say, the pinnacle of health, right? And not flourishing. And yet still someone on their deathbed who couldn't even feed themselves, who was flourishing. I mean, what, what causes flourishing in us? What brings that kind of living, that kind of life? You see, this passage teaches us that just to be alive like Israel, to just be somebody who is living is not what God wants for us. God wants to take those who are living and breathe into them to bring life and to bring flourishing. And for him, what that means, what it means to be someone who flourishes, I think is well explained in a very famous parable that Jesus taught in the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard it before. It's a parable of a man who was robbed and left for dead and two religious people passed him by, but yet then the unsuspecting Samaritan comes by and cares for this man beyond his expectations, unexplainably cares for him. Now the story begins with an interesting question and I think it helps us understand Jesus's view of flourishing. A lawyer comes and asks Jesus, what does it mean to, you know, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him, he says, love God and love your neighbor. Well, then the lawyer, he's a little bit uncomfortable and he he asks this question. He says, well, Jesus, then who is my neighbor? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? Then Jesus tells the story. And at the end of the story, Jesus does something very interesting. He actually completely flips the question on the lawyer. You see, the lawyer said, 
who is my neighbor? But then Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 36, he says, which of the three proved to be a neighbor? Did you see the difference there? That, that the man was saying, what do I have to do? And Jesus turns it on him and he says, who is a neighbor? It's interesting, we see this oftentimes in scripture. What, what happens is, is we often ask this question, well, who am I supposed to love? Or who am I supposed to be gracious to? Or who am I supposed to forgive? Or who am I supposed to be merciful to? And oftentimes what actually happens for us is we flip that question and put it on other people. You should be merciful to me. You should be loving to me. You should be gracious to me. And what Jesus says is, the way I bring life, the way I resurrect you, the way I put flesh on your bones is I'm going to make you the one who loves. I'm going to make you the one who forgives. I'm going to make you the one who has mercy. I'm going to make you the one who is gracious. You see, we can think about life so much about our circumstances and if we were in this circumstance, wouldn't we be better off? But what flourishing means is it means not a change in our circumstances. It comes, flourishing comes when we are changed, when we become someone different, when we experience resurrection is when we are moved from death to life. He resurrects you to give you, to bring you to life. Are you living today? And you might ask then, how might I live? Well, the answer to that is breath. The root of resurrection, at the heart of resurrection, is the breath of God. So there's this word in Hebrew. We saw it many, many times in this passage. And the Hebrew word, well, I want to teach it to you because I want you to try to say it this week a few times. Whoever says it the most gets free lunch. Uh, the word, the Hebrew word for breath is ruach. And you have to do the when you say it, okay? So everyone say that with me. Ready? Ruach. Oh, yes. You guys are so much better than first service. So much better. Well done. Ruach. Ruach. It actually means breath, wind, air. We see it all over Scripture. I mean, it's everywhere in Scripture. I would encourage you this week, as you're trying to say the word ruach this week to people, do a study through scripture of the word breath. It's a really powerful picture. We've been, as a church, uh, practicing Lent this year for the first time. It's the first time we ever tried this. And the way we introduced this idea of Lent was we said, we're going to fast from something for six days and then on the seventh day gather together and we'll feast on Jesus and break our fast. So that afternoon, go home and whatever it is you are fasting from, 
that you would then enjoy that and then the next day maybe start something new or fast from that again. And I've talked to many of you and many of you were like, I'm not doing it. That's great. It's okay. No, no condemnation. That's fine. Many of you have tried it. I did it. And I want to tell you something. So earlier this week, I was ready for it to be done. Where's DJ? Thank you. (laughs) And I I was a little bit convicted about it actually. Because I was kind of like, I mean, is that is that it? Like, okay, I did my thing, you know, no social media, no radio. I, I didn't what I, you know I didn't eat meals for a few few weeks. I, I was trying these things. I was like, okay, that's it. I did it. I've earned my bars. On, you know what, what now is it that I've done? And now I just go back and it's over. And so I was I was just kind of praying about it and thinking about it, and I I felt like God said to me or helped me realize in that moment what really the point of Lent is. And the point of Lent was for me then to say and feel and want today. That really what I wanted was God to breathe into me so that I would have life and those things wouldn't have any kind of power over me. They would just be what they are. And I felt this conviction and this longing actually to say, God, I want to be resurrected. I want to be someone new. I want your breath in me to bring me to life. Because when God moves, he breathes. When God created the world, he ruached and light came. When Ezekiel saw the dry bones, God said, I will ruach and they will live. When Jesus entered the world as an infant, he ruached for the first time as an infant. And at the darkest moment in all of history, Jesus, the creator of the world, after paying for our sins, scripture tells us he ruached for the last time. And on Saturday, creation held its ruach. Because on Sunday, on Sunday, he ruached again because death could not hold him down because death was not the end, because death was not the answer. And Jesus came and with his disciples, he walked into the room and John tells us in chapter 20 that he did what? He ruached over them. He said he breathed over them to say, now live, now be brought to life. I am alive and now you can be resurrected too. How does resurrection happen? He breathes into us. He gives us life. And to all who look to Jesus, he will breathe into you and transform you from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from shame to honor, 
from mourning to dancing, from darkness to light, from beauty to ashes, from death to victory. Just in a breath, you say? In a breath. Just in a breath, you say? In a breath. How does that work? I can't explain the resurrection, my friends, but it explains me. What I love about the simplicity of how to know that this is true, to, to, to be able to understand what God is doing here is Ezekiel's simple answer to God's question. When God asks him, can these bones live? Ezekiel's response was this simple, gentle, humble expression of faith. He said, Oh God, you know. I love that phrase. I, I find that in my own life, sometimes that's where I'm at with God. When he's like, I wanna change you. Do you believe I can change you? And I'm like, I do. <laughs> and it's just this simple expression of faith, it's all I have. Yeah, God, I do. Ezekiel didn't say, it's impossible, <laughs> can't, can't be done, can't be scientifically explained, God. He said, I can't explain it, but I believe you can do it. What a beautiful expression of hope and faith. What's awesome about how this passage ends is in verse 14, it says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it. And my friends, where we stand on the other side changes things dramatically because for Ezekiel, what he was trying to understand and believe was something that he had never seen but my friends, we are not people who have a blind faith, who just say, I can't explain it, but it explains me with, without knowing that there's truth to what has happened because the reality is resurrection has happened. It has been done. Because on the third day, Jesus walked out of the grave and he's inviting each of us to join him. Resurrection power is here. So, for the first time or for the millionth time, might I invite you this morning, church, to live and breathe. Live and breathe the two most fundamental pieces of our lives, living and breathing. For in that simple act of faith, that power, the unexplainable resurrection power, it becomes ours, it becomes mine, it becomes yours. For that same power that raised Christ from the dead, that caused him to ruach and breathe again, can now be ours. And that faith will lead to breath, 
And that breath will lead to change. And that change, it's unexplainable. But it will explain us. So, no matter where you are today, hear the hope of the message of the empty tomb. That God is not finished turning graves into gardens. He is not finished turning mourning into dancing. He is not finished turning ashes into beauty. He is not finished turning shame into glory. The infinite became an infant. And after the cross and the payment for our sins, the lifeless was raised to life. Jesus entered the world through a door that said no entry, and he left the door that said no exit. My friends, his resurrection power is here in me and in you, and he can raise us to life and make us live today. And I would ask you, can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you explain it? I can't explain it, but the resurrection explains me. Live and breathe and be resurrected, my friends. Let's pray. Almighty, awesome God, come and breathe on us today. Breathe life into us today. Breathe hope into us today. And may the reality of what Ezekiel saw be true in this very room, that we would be raised to life and the dead bones would rattle and people would walk again and live again and breathe again. And the cry of our hearts would be that the reason why we are alive is because the unexplainable reality of a man walking out of a tomb brought us to life and brought resurrection power into our lives. And so, Father, may we be a people who would live and breathe and explain the unexplainable, pointing to Jesus, our King. Father, may the world hear the sound of dry bones rattling today. Bring us to life that we may walk out of the grave with your Son. And it's in his powerful and beautiful and holy and resurrected name we pray.